Saturday evening, San Diego police shot a man in downtown San Diego. 25-year-old Leonardo Hurtado Ibarra was walking out of a homeless services building when police recognized him for a wanted flyer about a robbery from last week. Police tried to speak to him, but he ran away. And according to police, Ibarra pulled out a gun and police shot at the man. Saturday's shooting comes during a national conversation on policing and racism, and just as SDPD has altered policy in response to community demands. For the San Diego Union-Tribune, I'm Daniel Wheaton, and this is your San Diego News Fix. David Hernandez, you cover all things public safety for the Union-Tribune, and you've been covering this. has just been an ongoing and developing story. Uh, You just got back from our press conference, but let's get people up to speed with exactly what happened. Can you walk us through step-by-step with the encounter that Abara had with police? Yes. Um, So that became a lot more clear yesterday once uh, the police department released a few more details and video from a body-worn camera, a surveillance camera, and um, also a streetlight camera. Um, Essentially, what the video shows is that the encounter uh, unfolded pretty quickly. Um, Officers got out of their car, it seems, after they spotted Ibarra. Um, Police say that the officers recognized him because of uh, face tattoos from a wanted flyer that had been circulating regarding a robbery on June 21st. So uh, the video shows them driving around downtown for a bit, and eventually they get out of their car. Uh, One of the officers uh, asks to talk to Ibarra, uh, who essentially starts to walk away, and an officer tells him to stop repeatedly, uh, but Ibarra continues to walk away. Um, We also see him drop a plastic bag, or at least what appears to be a plastic bag, and then appear to reach for his waistband. Um, We see what appears to be an object um, come out and him uh, appear to point that at an officer who was approaching him from the middle of the street. Um, So police have said that he uh, did in fact point what turned out to be a revolver at the officer who was approaching him from the street. And uh, in the video, we can hear uh, that officer say, um, essentially, show me your hands. But um, yeah, essentially that's what led up to the shooting. So both officers opened fire and um, multiple times shot at Ibarra. We don't at this point know how many times he was struck and police haven't said where um, on his body he was struck by the gunfire. Um, So those are some of the questions that still remain. Um, But that's essentially how the the encounter unfolded. Um, Police also haven't given more details about that robbery so there are some questions that remain. Yeah, it seems like this all went down in a matter of minutes, and we're kind of piecing together exactly what happened through a variety of sources from what the police say and because there's varieties of different surveillance cameras and videos. So it's been kind of interesting to see it all kind of come together in this, you know, odd way, I suppose. Yeah, um, and you know what? I think it's important to note too, and we might, you know, delve into this a bit a bit later. But on Saturday, uh, the shooting drew immediate um, concerns from the community members. You know, there was some talk that Ibarra witnesses saw Ibarra being shot in the back um, as he was running away. Um, and just to clarify, the video appears to show him essentially start to maybe run away. I would say like walk away. 
Mm -hmm. um, he isn't, you know, running away at a high speed, so to speak. But um, it, nevertheless, the shooting drew immediate concerns. And uh, hours later, the police department released a, a bit of information. And as part of that, on Twitter, they also released a still image from the surveillance camera that appeared to show Ibarra uh, pointing an object, object um, at an officer. They also released a photo of uh, a revolver that they say they found um, essentially under Ibarra once he was shot, had been wrapped in a bandana. Um, but that itself also drew some criticism because people felt like it um, allowed police to control the narrative, to not, um, you know, get the full picture. Essentially, you know, they accused the police department of releasing bits and pieces of information um, so it wasn't until yesterday that we got the full video from these different sources, which showed a lot more of the encounter. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of the issue here is that the way that San Diego police released that information at this point, everyone is very skeptical and critical of police. So in a sense, they tried to, you know, show things as they would normally, which in this new political environment we've been in for about a month, the old strategy doesn't really work. And I think that's why you saw people get so angry and so concerned way faster than we've seen in other instances in which someone has a, you know, a deadly or near deadly encounter with police. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly not the norm to get body-worn camera within 24 hours of a shooting, which is, you know, what happened in this case. Um, and, you know, a lot of people attribute that to the climate, the frustrations, but not only the frustrations, the, uh, you know, protesters that have taken to the street, um, as we saw on Sunday, and again, immediately after the shooting, there were some people at the crime scene uh, demanding answers. So um, a lot of people attribute uh, the quick release to that as well, the push for transparency and for answers. Um, but but yeah, like I said, it, it's definitely not the norm. Um, Leafs haven't, you know, explained exactly the decision to release the information so quickly, but it is, um, I think, fair to say that it's an apparent attempt, you know, to quell some concerns given uh, the frustrations over police shootings across the nation. Mm -hmm. And let's uh, pivot this conversation a little bit to focus on what uh, community leaders and activists have been saying. Uh, can you give us a wrap up of kind of who spoke up and when and the kind of pushback that STPD experienced? Yeah, we've seen um, comments from uh, a lot of community members. Uh, we've seen comments from protesters who have hit the streets, and we've also seen comments from community leaders, like you mentioned at the beginning, you know, I just came from a news conference. Um, but essentially, a lot of people um, are happy that the San Diego Police Department released the footage so quickly. Um, but a couple things, they want, uh, there's a general consensus that that should be the case moving forward. Um, some say, some question whether, you know, police released the video because it appears to have um, validated their actions um, as opposed to, you know, a genuine desire to be transparent. Um, so generally speaking, there's this push for what we saw Sunday to be the norm moving forward. Um, and again, we um, 
haven't heard back yet from the police department, so we don't know if that will be the norm or not. Um, but, uh, you know, we know from a news conference where I just came from that some community members want the department to release uh, body-worn camera video in police shooting instances within 72 hours. Um, a lot of people are pointing to the fact that this case, um, the Ibarra shooting from Saturday, shows that clearly police can act quickly um, to release the body-worn camera video, and that that should be the case. People want to know um, exactly, you know, why police uh, shoot someone in in, a, in different cases that that happen. Um, so that's kind of the general push. Mm -hmm. And can you give us a sense of what happened at uh, today's press conference? What else did we learn? Yeah, so um, I think I mentioned one of the most uh, interesting demands, which is for you know police department, the police department to release video within seventy two hours. Um, aside from that, uh, protesters and um, at this news conference, also community leaders. Um, pointed to the need for more um, racial bias training. And at the news conference where I was just at, um, uh, you know, some mentioned the need for the police department to hear from people and their lived experiences. Um, so I thought, you know, that was really interesting. It's essentially like a more direct dialogue uh, for police officers to understand um, and maybe check their own biases. Um, we've also um, heard, and this was a request that came up at this news conference, but it's uh, been voiced in the past as well, um, a desire to have the district attorney's office have an independent unit, so to speak, to um, investigate uh, cases of officer misconduct or excessive use of force. Um, you know, a lot of people feel like the police department uh, shouldn't be tasked with um, policing itself. Um, so they want an independent bodies to investigate cases like sh police shootings. Um, so that was another of the demands that came up today, essentially for this um, uh, independent unit to investigate these cases, uh, to be uh, housed within the district attorney's office, to have a hotline for people to directly contact them with any concerns about, again, use of force and uh, officer misconduct. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. And what uh, are what is the response of SDPD? Because there's a process that they go through whenever an officer uses their weapon. Where are those officers and where do they stand? Yes. Um, so the officers, um, there are two officers who shot, who responded and shot Ibarra. Both have been placed on paid administrative leave, which is the department's uh, standard protocol. Um, and next... Um, well, now the uh, shooting investigation is ongoing. It's being handled by the department's uh, homicide unit, which is also standard protocol in cases where officers um, are involved in shootings. So that's happening. Um, next, after that, the, the review essentially will be sent to the district attorney's office, who will, uh, which will determine whether the officers, officers should be held um, criminally liable for a shooting at Ibarra. And um, after that, uh, the department will also internally uh, review the shooting to see whether any policy was violated. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think it's important to note a couple of things. You know, it, we'll have to see how it plays out. Um, but a new state law that took effect in January calls on officers to uh, use uh, for deadly force when necessary. 
Um, so it kind of raised the bar um, when there are no other options, um, such as de-escalating a situation. Um, and the department also implemented recently um, a new uh, de-escalation policy. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how those two uh, policies and laws um, play out here. But those are kind of the, the next steps. Mm -hmm. And at this point, we've seen SDPD make a number of changes in response to the protests. The de-escalation policy is one of the biggest ones. Did police it kind of explain that they followed their own policy in this situation? Because obviously it escalated. Right. Um, no, police have not uh, explained at this point um, exactly. They haven't elabor elaborated um, on what more led up to the shooting. Um, I think that's key to kind of get to the bottom of whether they could have de-escalated the situation or whether any policy was violated. Um, so like I mentioned, there are several questions that remain. Um, the body-worn camera video, um, for example, showed the officers riding around in a patrol vehicle, but it didn't um, have audio. Um, and that's because uh, body-worn camera video um, essentially records um, two minutes prior to when it's turned on, but without audio. So the officer, mm -hmm. um, it appears, turned on the body-worn cameras once they got out of the vehicle. So we don't know what could have been... Um, what conversation they may have had in the car as they were driving around downtown, um, whether they were actively looking for this person or whether um, they, um, you know, came upon him and recognized him from, from a flyer, um, whether they had gotten a call about the person being spotted. Um, so those sort of questions remain. Um, but the police department have not yet uh, detailed that part of the encounter and haven't really commented on whether their policy may have been been violated. Mm -hmm. And have they set any kind of time frame or notice as to when we'll get more information or is the department just remaining quiet for now? Um, yeah, so for now, we know that next steps uh, include releasing the name of the officers, which is uh, something that a lot of protesters yesterday also pushed for. Um, they want to you know, know the officer's name in case uh, you know, the officer has a history of other shootings, for example. Um, so the department says uh, they expect to release the name, this the names of the officers this week, um, perhaps as early as tomorrow, Tuesday. Um, but uh, as far as the timeline of the investigation, that's still unclear, and, and the police have yet to give a, a timeline on that. Mm -hmm. And also, over this past month, uh, a lot of the focus has, of course, been on Black Lives Matter and Ibarra is uh, Latino. Do you think that kind of changes the conversation? I mean, San Diego is, you know, more Latino than it is black. How does that racial difference kind of change the conversation that, you know, we may be having if Ibarra was black and shot by police? Um, yeah, that's a that's a good uh, point. Um, I think, you know, from what I saw yesterday out in the streets, um, was essentially just a show of solidarity in terms of, you know, people of color uh, feeling like they're kind of united in this fight. Um, and not that we haven't seen that in the past. Um, I think we've seen a strong uh, show of solidarity with uh, the Black community, but there were definitely, um, it definitely adds, you know, a different layer um, in terms of, uh, you know, the, the notion that this isn't just a problem within the Black community. Um, you know, I, you, saw a lot of um, 
the same concerns though, you know, which is police violence at the root, you know, that's a big uh, concern for the community. Um, so um, yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see how it changes the narrative. Um, but I think it kind of showed, regardless, it kind of, um, what I saw was a big show of solidarity across the board. Mm-hmm. And also, what do we know about Abara himself? Uh, he's still in the ICU, right? Um, yes, police have not given an update. Um, well, they have, and they, they said today that he still remained in uh, ICU, so no change there. That's what I meant. Um, and um, on our end, we're trying to reach the family. We're trying to look um, uh, into um, you know his past, try to find out more about him. Um, so there's not a lot that we know at this point. Um, Mm -hmm. we haven't been able to reach the family, for example, so that, you know, um, has been a roadblock so far in our reporting. Um, but, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see, you know, if we get more information about that robbery. Um, I think I should also add here that, um, police have said that, uh, they don't plan to release more information about the robbery for now because, um, there is an outstanding suspect, um, and so they consider that case ongoing. Um, but yeah, there's still more that we have to learn about Ibarra. Mm-hmm. And as this story develops, um, what are some of the questions that you hope get answered in the next coming days? Um, yeah, you know, I'd be really interested to know the history of the police officers once their uh, names are released. That does give us, you know, an opportunity to review their past to see if we, for example, have written about any shootings they may have been involved in. Um, you know, the the big notion of de-escalation, it'll be interesting to see, you know, whether the department considers uh, the officer's actions in line with the new policy um, in terms of, you know, just de-escalating situations. Um, and also, this is more down down the road, but how the district attorney uh, de- decides what determination mm-hmm. the district attorney makes in terms of whether the officers are criminally, criminally liable. Um, it'll kind of be interesting to see whether the state law really raised the bar or not. Um, so, um, yeah, those are some of the questions that we have. And I think the big one, which we're trying to get a sense of today and, you know, with yet to be seen whether the police department will respond or not, not is um, whether the, this will be the new norm, you know, the release, the quick release of video. Um, so that'll be really interesting to see if it's, if it's the new norm or not. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because if you think about it, the entire conversation that we're having about policing equity and race is because so many of these tragic encounters with police have been recorded on video. George Floyd, Ahmed Aubrey, because this is a part of the national conversation and we're actually seeing, you know, you can't deny what happens. It's kind of ironic that now SDPD has the same ability to just say, hey, here's our side. So just for transparency's sake, it would make sense if moving forward, they are a bit more open when it comes to the information that they have, because just as people can say, you know, how terrible the death of George Floyd was, it also gives a chance for the police to also say, here's our perspective for whatever kind of encounter may or may not happen. Right. Yeah. And it's really interesting because they've always, it seems, um, uh, or at least for some time now, have had the ability to do so. Um, but we just this haven't gotten video this quickly in the past. Um, and I think it's, you know, it'll be interesting because a lot of community members are applauding the police department for being transparent. Um, 
but they're making it clear that this needs to be the case, whether the officers appear to have acted in line with policy or whether they appear to have not acted in line with policy. You know, across the board, they want this to be the new norm. So um, it'll be interesting, again, to see if, you know, the police department releases videos this quickly, selectively, you know, um, to quell concerns or to paint uh, their side of the picture or whether, whether it will be the new norm across the board. It'll be really interesting to see that. Mm-hmm. All right. David Hernandez, thank you so much. Thanks. In other news, as San Diego County's COVID-19 outbreak worsens, county health officials ordered all bars, wineries, and breweries that don't sell food to close by Wednesday. The move mirrors what the governor ordered for other counties over the weekend. The logic behind the move is that drinking-only establishments encourage people who don't know each other to mingle, add on the effects of alcohol and mask wearing and social distancing go out the window. The county posted a fresh single-day record of new cases, hitting 498 Sunday, one more than was reported for Saturday. Only one of the past seven single-day totals has been under 300 cases, and more worrisome, the number of hospitalized COVID cases continues to climb, reaching 458 Sunday, significantly higher than the 346 hospitalizations tallied a week ago. Thanks for listening to the San Diego News Facts. This podcast is made possible by subscribers to the San Diego Union Tribune. As we live through this momentous time in history, the truth and facts matter. If you are not yet a subscriber, please go to uniontrip.com slash subscribe. Until next time.